I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have thought about all of those words. But think about that. The God of all history. That's who we're coming to worship this morning. He, he's had it all planned out from the beginning of time. Now, he existed before time. Try to get your head wrapped around that one. We are so time and space bound as human beings. It's hard for us to think outside of time, but if you can kind of just zoom out a little bit and just wonder a little bit about God being outside of time, outside of history as we know it, superintending all of history, bringing all of the events of history together in the right way. Now, honestly, sometimes it seems like, God, are are you really steering history? Have you really superintended all of these events in our lives? Because sometimes we hit difficulty. And yet, as we just prayed, that in the Bible, what we see is that God is at work in every point in history. Like, He's redeeming even the difficult things. And in those moments of redemption, in those moments of new beginning that we've been looking at, he's showing his love for his people. In Christ, we are his people. In Christ, he's demonstrating his love for us, and his word informs that in our lives. His word shapes that in our lives. His word shapes our identity. His word shapes our understanding of one another. And so we've talked about affirmation and grace just as values that we want to share together. And then the last couple of weeks, we've just been talking about new beginnings and how that starts in Christ and last week by the Spirit. And so the Spirit comes and takes the word. And works it into our minds and into our hearts in a way that changes us. And so my hope as we come to the word this morning is not that you will hear my words, but that you will hear the word speak to your heart. And that you will allow it to shape your identity, to shape how you see one another, to shape how we engage Well, again, uh, we're just trying to keep people connected, and that's been really challenging this past year. And one of the ways that we've done that as we've stopped handing out paper is to try to use a digital bulletin. And you can follow along this morning by uh, scanning that QR code, uh, either on screen if you're at home or it's in the pew in front of you. That's a, a resource for you. You can even go back to that later in the week as maybe you're thinking about these things and you want to see what was said. You can see my slides in that. You can see the announcements in that. You can see the words of the songs in that. It's there. And then if you would, just um, maybe fill out that digital connection card that's at the bottom there, just so that we know how we can connect with you and how we can serve you, how we can pray for you, and and just allowing us to know that you were together with us this morning. Well, this morning, I want to pick up right where we left off last week. So last week, we were in Galatians 5. We were looking at the work of the Spirit, and, and, and we just We've, we've been walking through this idea of new beginnings. And so this week I want to pick up right in the last verse. I don't know if you realized it last week, but I stopped a verse short of the end of the chapter. And at least in my Bible, it's indented like it's a paragraph and it should be connected. And yet I went, you know what, I think this 
This flows into chapter 6. And so we're going to pick up with verse 26 of chapter 5. We're going to go through chapter 6, verse 10. So if you have your Bibles, I'd just welcome you to open them and uh, turn to Galatians. It's in the New Testament. That's toward the end of the Bible. It's one of those short letters. And so you can find it, uh, you know, right after Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians. We're right in there. And so I uh, hope that you can find that this morning. Uh, you can follow along. I'll have our text on the screen throughout the message, or uh, you can see it in that digital bulletin or through your Logos app. There's a number of ways that you can connect. Well, two weeks ago on Easter, we looked at how a new beginning starts in Christ. Last week, we looked at how that new beginning continues by the Spirit, and this morning, I want to look at how that new beginning continues even further with others. We're on this journey together. So it, it starts in Christ, by the Spirit, but it is with others. And that's so key along the way. I don't know about you. I don't know how long you've been following Christ, but in my time following Christ, I've found that I need other people. I need other people to uh, point out things in my life that I can't see. I need other people to encourage me along the way. I need other people to talk about Scripture with so that it's not just my own myopic opinion of Scripture. We help each other in so many ways. For us to live in this new beginning that Christ offers, that he gives us everything we need by the Spirit, we do that with one another. We come to faith in Christ, and then we're brought into this family. He actually makes us a part of his family. The, the word is used adoption, like we're brought into, legally brought into as sons and daughters of God, the family of God. We're also brought into the body of Christ, like we become a part of his body and a, a piece of his building. And so we become this display of Christ here on earth, carrying forward his ministry of incarnation together. In the text this morning, I think we'll see three things that are important for us to keep in mind as we do life together, as we pursue Christ together, as we walk on this journey together. Uh, There are three words that will be pointed out in the text, but we need to be ready to restore one another. We need to bear one another's burdens, and we need to share with one another. So let's just jump in, chapter 5, verse 26, picking up that last verse. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, now this, this is connected to the last part, but it's a bridge into chapter 6. And so we, we just need to remember that we can read through the chapter divisions. It's, that's okay. We don't have to stop at the chapter division. We can keep reading. So he's just talked about how the Spirit works in us. How the Spirit is moving in us. How the Spirit is giving us life. How the Spirit, as we walk by the Spirit, produces amazing fruit in our lives. And here's what I think this last verse informs us. We need to be careful because what we are prone to do as human beings is we're prone to see what God is doing in us and go, hey, look at me. Isn't this awesome? How cool I'm becoming, how patient I'm becoming, how joyful I'm becoming, how how loving I'm becoming, how good and faithful I'm becoming, how self-controlled I'm becoming. Look at me. We are prone to become conceited. 
And I would argue that that even becomes easier when we're brought together with other people. And so the whole point of Galatians is, uh, here, people of Galatia, here's how we present the gospel to people, and you need to believe it yourself, and you need to understand that you are brought into this relationship with Christ. You're redeemed, you're justified by Christ alone through faith. And then by the Spirit, you are brought into this family, and as family, we are charged to continue to proclaim the gospel. But when we're brought together as people, like how, how often is this true in your life? When you come into a room and you kind of look around the room, how quickly do you start comparing yourself to other people? Okay, if I'm honest, like I do that. You know, you walk into a room and you kind of look around and you go, oh man, I'm taller than half the people in the room. Oh, um, you know, I, I wore something different than they did. Now, comparison isn't all bad, but it's a slippery slope where we walk into a room and we start to think, how are people perceiving me? How am I perceiving them? And all of a sudden, when we're with people, our tendency is to do one of two things. It's to look better than maybe we should and therefore look down on people. That's what the word provoking here means. It, look, it means to look down on. It means to poke at. It means to challenge, to kind of go, yeah, you think you're all that? Well, I'm all this. That's provoking. And that comes when we begin to compare ourselves to one another. The other one is envying because the other thing that has a tendency to happen as we come into the presence of other people, not only are we tempted to provoke or to look down on people, we're actually tempted to look longingly at people. So maybe we come into a room and we go, oh, I'm not all that. I'm not as put together as that person appears to be. And we begin to long for that. We do this in a number of ways. We compare our children to other people's children. We compare our spouses to other people's spouses. We compare our cars to other people's cars. We compare our clothes to other people's clothes. We compare our attitude to other people's attitude. We compare our problems to other people's problems. And we come in and we start to compare one another. And whatever God is doing in us, we, we are tempted to put our stock in that and to become conceited. Looking down on one another or looking longingly at each other. And so Paul says, be careful as God begins to work in you, as he brings you into this family, these, this people of God, be careful that you don't become conceited. And it's so important that we do because he goes on to chapter 6 and says there's, there's something really important that we're called together for. And so he says, brothers, love that first word because it reminds us, hey, we are family. Like it or not, lump it or not, we are family, and we're not a perfect family, far from it. But we're reminded that we've been brought into this family as sons and daughters of God. That makes us brothers and sisters. Would you just turn to the person next to you, and in the gender-appropriate way, would you say, hello, brother, or hello, sister? All right, now, if you're married to the person next to you, don't be offended that they're saying brother and sister, not honey. Or sweetie pie, okay, we're talking in Christ here, we're brothers and sisters, but we're family. We're family. 
He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Why do we need to be on guard that we wouldn't become conceited? Why do we need to watch out for that as we come together as the people of God? Because there will come a time when we're caught in a transgression. Brothers and sisters, there will come a time where on this journey, as we walk with Christ, sin can easily entangle us. Sin is lurking at the door, waiting to devour you. Satan is so good at setting traps in our way of digging little pit holes in the sidewalk that make us stumble and fall. The word caught is an interesting word. It it can refer to kind of two realities. You can be caught red-handed. Oh, that doesn't feel good, does it? Got your hand in the cookie jar and, you know, mom walks around the corner and you're like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. Okay, you can be caught red-handed or you can be caught off guard. Wow, I didn't see that coming. Where did that come from? And sin has that tangling ability in both ways. Yes, we have a new beginning in Christ. We're made a new creature in Christ. But what Paul just said in chapter 5 is the flesh is still kind of with us until Jesus comes again, until the ultimate fulfillment of his kingdom, the flesh is with us and it's warring against the spirit. There's this constant battle within us. And so we've come to Christ and we're walking by the spirit and yet our flesh is like, (laughs) I'm going to trip you up. And it pushes and it pulls to get us in a position where either we're tempted and we go, yep, I'm just going to put my hand in the cookie jar. That word transgression, it means willful disobedience. Okay, and so there is some sense that, that maybe it's more often that we get caught with our hand in the cookie jar than we're completely caught off guard. It's so interesting the times when I stumble and fall. If I can look back and go, um, did that one just kind of surprise me? Or were there some things that I should have been watching for? And so, so many times, more often than not, there's, there's little steps that I've taken that I've deliberately gone, okay, I'm going to push this line a little bit this way. No, I'm going to push a little bit further. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm caught in sin. And Paul's saying one of our chief responsibilities to one another, one of the chief gifts, the best gifts that we can give to one another is that we would be ready to catch each other in sin. Because there's there's actually a, a third way that we could think of caught. Caught. As if you're falling and somebody reaches out a hand And grabs you before you hit the ground. Oh, brothers and sisters, can we be careful not to become conceited so that we're ready, so that we're in the Spirit, so that we're sensitive to one another, so that when one of us stumbles and falls, we can catch each other in that transgression. We can grab each other. We can give a helping hand. Walking with others provides gentle help. When we fall. And here's the truth. 
we all still fall. The flesh gets the best of each one of us at some point in time. And it's such a blessing to have brothers and sisters around our life and in our life to such a degree that they can catch us before we hit the ground. Oh, brothers, if if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. There's all kinds of definitions for spiritual. What does that mean? Well, Paul gives us pretty good, clear definition. He says, if you're in Christ and walking by the Spirit, if you're seeing that freedom of the Spirit, if you're seeing that fellowship and that following of the Spirit, if you're seeing the fruitfulness of the Spirit in your life, you can go, hey, I'm spiritual. All of us who have put their faith in Christ are spiritual. And some have practiced a more consistent walk than others. That's just the reality We're all encouraged to walk well by the Spirit, but those who are spiritual, those who are seeing fruitfulness in your life, be on the lookout because it's it's to you that we turn that when we need a hand, we're all to be those kind of spiritual people. So everyone around us, everyone that we're doing our spiritual life with could count on us to catch them when they fall into temptation, when they are caught in transgression. Those who are spiritual are to restore those who are caught in transgression. That, that word restore is an interesting term too. It means to set right again or, or, or to make right again. It uh, could be thought of in a medical term like to set a broken arm. Um, when, when I was in second grade, I broke my arm. I was wrestling with some friends in their front yard, and um, we were just having fun, and one of them got behind me and kind of bent down, and the other one pushed me over him, and I fell backward and caught myself on my arm. Broken arms, I, I don't know if you're feeling queasy right now, but like when you see an arm like that, you go, that, that's not how it's supposed to be. You go, oh, I can't, can't deal with that. Can you go to the next slide already? Uh, okay, we can go to the next slide. That, that broken arm has to be set right again. But so often in the church, we see brokenness and we have one of two responses. We go, oh, I don't want to touch that. Can we just cover that up? Can, can we just kind of ignore that? Can we just put that over here and me over here? I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't feel qualified to reset that brokenness. And so we just ignore it. Or, or sometimes we go, you know what? I think we just got to cut that thing off. That broken arm, <laughs> it's done for. Let me just go get my saw and we'll take care of that right here, right now. But how often is that our response to one another when we see sin in each other? How often do we go, you know what, I I just, I don't want to see that. I don't want to deal with that. That's uncomfortable to me. Or we just go, you know what, let me just get the saw out. We'll just cut that off right here, okay? But Paul says we're supposed to restore, we're supposed to set this right with gentleness. With gentleness. We have a... Really great example of this 
that really fits kind of cool in our Easter timeline here. If you turn over to the book of John right at the end, we get uh, three appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. And uh, so Jesus, he dies on the cross, he um, is buried, he rises again, and then we start to see a series of appearances. And these aren't his only appearances, but these are appearances to the disciples. And so in John 20, starting in verse 19, we get the first appearance in the upper room to a group of disciples. So uh, Jesus comes, um, most scholars think it's 10 plus 2. So we have 12 disciples, uh, except Judas has killed himself because he betrayed Jesus. Now we're down to 11 disciples, but we get this story in Luke about two men, Cleopas and his friend, that have gone to Emmaus. They've seen Jesus and they've run back to Jerusalem. And so a lot of scholars think that it's 10 plus 2, we get 12 there, but Thomas isn't with them. And so Jesus appears, they're astounded, they're like, wow, he is alive, this is amazing. And then Thomas comes back and they're like, you'll never guess what we saw. We saw Jesus alive. And he's like, I don't think so. You know, that's where he gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas. So we fast forward down to uh, verse 26 and it says, eight days later. All right, so if we take into account the Sabbath timing, that first appearance is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's the first day of the week. Jesus rises from the dead early in the morning. He's seen in the garden by uh, the Marys, uh, several of them, and one in particular. He uh, probably appears to Simon somewhere in there. He's appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. And now it's evening. It's evening of that first day, and he appears to the disciples. Eight days later, so we have a week later, Uh, He appears again. This time Thomas is with the disciples, so this is at least the 11, and Thomas is there, and Thomas and Jesus have this conversation. And and then the instruction is that we get in uh, Matthew and Mark, the instruction is, hey, you need to go to Galilee. So Galilee's a four or five day journey from Jerusalem. Okay, it would have been back up to where most of these people were from. It would uh, be back where Jesus, a lot of his ministry was. So he's appeared to the disciples twice now with uh, a week in between in the upper room in Jerusalem. And now they've been given this instruction, go back to Galilee. And so after that appearance, they're like, hey, I guess we should go back to Galilee. And so they start off on this journey. And uh, four or five days, they're back in Galilee. And, and I don't know what they're thinking at this point. Like, we don't get those kind of commentaries. I wish we did. You know, what's, what's Simon Peter thinking? Simon in particular, because he denied Christ. Christ said, you know, I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter goes, I'm going all the way with you. And he goes, no, I'm sorry, you're not going to go all the way. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter goes, it's never going to happen, Lord. And then it happens can you imagine that kind of discouragement? Can you imagine that kind of weight? Can you imagine? Like, I don't, I don't know if we can call that sin, but denying Christ seems like that. And, and he's caught in this. He's stuck in his sin. He's stuck in this turmoil. He's stuck in his confusion and his guilt and his shame. And he sees Jesus probably three times because Paul lists uh, a sighting with just Jesus and Simon Peter, and uh, the guys coming back from Emmaus, they say, hey, he's um, shown himself to Simon, and then here in these two upper room encounters, and yet, 
I think Simon's still feeling pretty discouraged because they get back to Galilee. And if they walked four or five days, they get there about the time of Sabbath, they kind of shut things down, and then we have the first day of another week. Now, we don't get that clear of a time stamp, but I, I just wonder if they walk back to Galilee, they do Sabbath, they observe Sabbath, and then they wake up. It's a new week. It's the first day of the week, and Simon's like, well, now what do we do? Like, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and we don't know if we're ever going to see him again. He's given us some instructions, but not really. Just go back to Galilee. I'll meet you there. But when? And how? And where? And am I even worthy of that anymore? And so, Simon, in in chapter 21 of John, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of, Gal- of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. What did Simon do in his confusion, in his discouragement, in his depression, in his guilt, in his shame? He went, hey, I guess I just got to go back to what I was doing. So I'm going to go fishing. Maybe it was therapeutic just to get out on the water to do something that he loved, that he knew. But they're out fishing, these seven disciples, because his friends said, you know what, we'll go with you. We'll look at that in a minute. But they're out on the water, and they see somebody on the shore. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. I stood on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it just struck me, this encounter. You know, there's somebody on the shore that calls out, hey, how's it going out there, guys? And I I don't know if it was Peter or not, but somebody said back, hey, um, not very well. We haven't caught anything. The person on the shore says, hey, uh, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Now, in that moment, I wonder if anybody's ears kind of tingled. Oh, wait, we've been here before. And all of a sudden, there's all of these fish in the net. And John, John's pretty astute. He goes, hey, that's the Lord. Because they have been here before. This is how Simon Peter was called in the first calling. Like when Jesus said, hey, Simon, come and follow me. He had gotten into his boat. He had told him to roll out. And and Simon was like, hey, I don't really even know who you are. But okay, you seem like a good teacher. I'll do this. But we've been out all night. I'm tired. And in that moment, three years before this, Jesus says, hey, put your nets in. And he goes, come on, man. You're no fisherman, but okay. And they have this huge catch, and that's all happening again. And in Simon's mind, he starts to think about all of these things, and it says he throws on his clothes and jumps into the water and swims to the shore because he's like, if that's the Lord, I want to be with him. And then we get this beautiful scene of Peter and Jesus where Jesus restores Peter with gentleness. Is that how we restore one another when we're caught in sin? Together, this is such a beautiful thing that we have each other so that when we stumble and fall, when we're buried in our discouragement and our guilt and our shame, that somebody goes, hey, come on ashore and let me sit with you. And I'm not going to excuse what you've done, okay? We're going to make this a pattern. Hey, three times. Yeah, we're, we're doing this. We're referring to what you have done. You denied me three times, but here I am to restore you gently. Do you love me? Oh, absolutely I do. 
You know that I do. All right, then go tend to my, my sheep. Go do what I've called you to do. Oh, do you love me? Of course I do, Lord. Well, then, then go and do what I've called you to do. Tend to my sheep. Feed my sheep. Oh. Peter, do you love me? How often when you have seen someone in sin, when maybe you've even caught them in sin and you can see the guilt and shame just weighing them down, how often have you just sat with them and said, you know what, do you love Jesus? Because he loves you and he's ready to restore you. Do you love him? Well, of course I love Jesus. Great. Then get back up and do what he's called you to do. Let me help you. Let me take your hands and pull you back to your feet. How often is that how we restore one another, that we sit with each other and we look each other in the eyes and, and we just go, we, we love Jesus, right? And we know that he loves us and he died for our sins, so come on, let's come out of sin and let's live the way we've been called to live. Oh, it's so good to do this journey with others because it provides gentle help when we fall. We restore each other with all gentleness. There's a warning here as well in 6.1 back in Galatians. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. What's he, what's he talking about here? Well, um, okay, so if you catch a man looking at porn and you're a man, you should be careful that you're going to be tempted to look at porn, okay? Um, but I don't think that's actually what Paul's talking about here. That is true. You know, if you catch somebody in sin and you are tempted by that, you need to be on your guard. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think he's going back up to, hey, be careful not to become conceited. Because in those tender moments where we're restoring someone, where we're saying, hey, come on out of that, we are in danger of hearing a slight whisper of, you know what, you're better than this person. Look at you, you're helping this person. You're so great. This would never happen to you. If we're honest, I think we'd say that's true. That's in us. And Paul's saying, hey, be careful. Be on your guard that you're not tempted to become conceited as you're restoring someone. Because that's this tender moment that Satan loves to disrupt. He loves to whisper in our ears, hey, you're better than this. You're better than this one. Look down on them even as we're restoring them. Keep watch, lest you too be tempted. It's good to do this journey with others because we can restore each other when we fall. Verse 2 of chapter 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Walking with others on this journey, walking with others provides loving help to carry our burdens. Walking with others provides just this loving help to carry our burdens. Have any of you ever had a burden in your life? I know that there are some heavy burdens in our congregation. 
And they're all across the map from family to finance to health. There's burdens. And oftentimes this word burden, like it's a load. It's a heavy, heavy load. It's like this guy on the bike. I I don't know how he's even moving. And, And it strikes me that he's looking at the guy next to him going, Hey, little help here? We're going uphill, and I have this heavy load. And the dude on the other bike is like, I'm, I'm going to pretend I don't even see this guy. How, how often is that our response to someone who goes, man, my burden is heavy today? How often do we go, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of busy right now. Hey, I got my own stuff. We all do. But God calls us into this people, into this family, because he knows this life is going to bring about struggle. This life is going to have burdens for us. And so he puts us together so that we can bear one another's burdens, so that we can help one another carry the load, so that we can be extra pedal power when we're going up the hill and we have this mountain of burden on our bike. Sometimes pushing, sometimes pulling, sometimes being encouragement, sometimes just taking the load and going, okay, I'll carry it for a while. God brings us into this family because he knows we're going to need each other. Because we all have burdens to bear. Now, here's the beauty of it. This is how we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, Paul has gone to great lengths to say it's not about the law, it's about grace. But then he comes back to, hey, it's the law of Christ. Christ said some similar things. He goes, hey, it's through faith in me, but... Here's how that should play out. Here's how that should become visible in the world. You should love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. Love your neighbor. And in other places, that becomes so specific to the people of God. Love your neighbor. Hey, this is the place to practice that. This is the place to work that out. This is the place to grow in that. Because there's no question that we're each other's neighbors. We're kin, we're family, we're brothers and sisters. This is where we learn to do this. And as we do this for one another, as we become skilled in bearing each other's burdens, we get better at carrying other people's burdens that may not know Christ and we carry their burdens with them in such a way that maybe they see Christ. We fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. He goes on, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he, de- he deceives himself. Uh, bearing one another's burdens really takes a, a different attitude. You know, we saw it in, in John where, where Peter, he comes to his friends, you know, they're there in Galilee, these seven disciples, and, and he goes, you know, I don't know what to do today, but I'm going to go fishing And they go, you know what, we'll come with you. My sense is that Peter's discouragement was palpable. They could tell he was carrying a burden and he didn't know how to let it go. 
I wonder if they knew, man, you need to talk to Jesus about this. And yet in the waiting, on the way, however we get you to Jesus, we're going to bear the burden with you. It's like those four friends that lower the paralytic through the ceiling. They had to carry the stretcher to the house. They had to rip a hole in the roof. They had to lower him down because they go, you got to get to Jesus because that's where we lay our burdens down. But on the way, we'll help you. We'll help carry that load. But it it takes a, a right attitude. It takes a right perspective. We have to consider others as more important than ourselves. This is the attitude of Christ. Hey, I've got your baggage. Now follow me. Isn't that the call of Christ? Hey, come and bring your burdens to me. I got them. And and as his people, as his body, that's our call for one another. To go, hey, you got a burden you're carrying, you're, you're weighed down, you're packed down, you don't have enough hands to grab on, but you got to keep moving forward. Great, I'll help you. But it takes an attitude, the attitude of Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but he released his grip on that so that he could help us bear the burden. Out of love for us, he was so motivated to bear the burden of sin, to bear the burden of shame, to bear the burden of guilt so that we could be free. That's the model we have and that's who we follow. And so we follow like him. Considering others as more important than ourselves, we bear each other's burdens. Now, now it gets interesting here in verse 4. It says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. Oh, Paul. Sometimes Paul's so confusing. But again, we we get a picture of this in John because um, Peter, in his conversation with Jesus, he goes, hey, Jesus, um, you've just told me how I'm going to (laughs) die. It's not going to be pretty. I'm not looking forward to that. But but what about that guy? What about John? Now, I I, I don't know in that moment if there's some comparison going on in Simon Peter where he's being tempted to be conceited. Or, or, or if he's looking longingly at John, John and Jesus had this special relationship. So, okay, out of that special relationship, are you going to be kind to him? But I get to, you know, be crucified like you. And Jesus just says, you know what? John's story is not your concern. You have to take care of yourself. You're responsible for you. Okay, and so there is this personal responsibility that we have before Christ, this, this load, it's a much different word. It's like a backpack. It, it means a, a manageable load that we can hike with, that we can move with, that we can keep going with. It's the weight of our own personal responsibility before God. So what has God given you? He's given us each gifts. He's given us, given us each talents. He's, he's given us each resources. He's given us so much. He's given you as an individual so much, and you're responsible to God for that. So if we just look at ourselves, go, okay, how am I living out my life with what God has given me? Am I being the steward that I need to be? That's what he's talking about. 
so that I'm best prepared to bear one another's burdens and to, you know, rescue people from that trap of sin. Am I living the way that I need to live? Am I being spiritual? Am I walking by the Spirit? Am I feeling that freedom? Am I following His lead? Am I seeing that fruit? So that you are in the place you need to be when others need you. Walking with others provides loving help to carry our burdens. Moving on to verse 6, he says, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. All right, so many commentators take this in a financial direction. They go, um, you know, if you have resources, you're supposed to share them with me. That's convenient, isn't it? It is, as long as you're the preacher. (laughs) Because I can go, hey, guess what? You got some ice cream? I want some. But I don't think that's what Paul is actually talking about here. This word share, even though it is connected to a a financial sense in Romans, it's used a couple other places where I I wish they would have translated it more in the the sense of uh, partner with or partake in, uh, 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 participate with. So there's all kinds of ways this word, really there's only four ways this word is used. You can see them there and and so there's, there's kind of this multiplicity of meaning, but if we, if we look at Romans, it says, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, okay, that's to, to take part in, to actually what the Jews had in Christ, in the blessings of Christ, the Gentiles have too. It's this partaking in, this sharing in. Hebrews 2.14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That again is just, okay, we share this flesh and blood. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to share that way too. I'm going to share in flesh and blood. I'm going to take on flesh so I can relate to you. I'm going to partake of your flesh and blood. 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice in in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. Peter's saying, hey, we're going to suffer kind of like Christ did. And as we share in those sufferings, they're going to have a work in our lives. As we participate, as we partner in, as we partake in. And that changes the meaning because I think then we could read this text to say, uh, the one who is taught the word must share, must partake in all of the good things with the one who teaches. That means we get to work together. That means that as I teach you and you're the taught one, as you learn, as you understand, you're actually supposed to go and teach others. Like we partake in, we share in this task of shining the light of Christ to the world. I think it fits better with where he goes. So do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So we're sharing in this task, we're moving the mission forward together, and he says because if we we sow sparingly, it's not going to work out real well, but guess what? God's not going to be mocked. God's going to be faithful to us. Throughout my Christian life, I've found that following Christ is not always easy. 
In fact, oftentimes it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's uh, very countercultural. It, it, it means that I behave differently in circumstances than many people around me. It means that I'll make different decisions uh, in life and in work and in just how I live. It, it, it means that I'm going to choose to be like Christ when other things would be easier. But man, when we sow into that, when we invest in, when we partake in all the good that God is doing, the mission of God, the kingdom of God, God won't be mocked. He's not going to let us be put to shame. He's not going to let us be abandoned. He's not going to leave or forsake us. He's going to be with us. And so when we stand in Christ, by the Spirit, with others, God goes, I got your back. I'm with you. So then Paul finishes up this way. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. Okay, if you invest in the flesh, in these things that he described in chapter 5, in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. If you invest your life in those things, it leads to corruption. But... The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Oh, what a benefit, right? I don't know how often we really grab that as a, just a crazy blessing. That we get eternal life out of the deal. Like this life is so short and it's so limited and the reward for sowing into the Spirit, for living like Christ, following Him with others is eternal life filled with joy, filled with abundance, filled with the glory of God forever and ever. So... Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary in doing good. That verse is uh, quoted many times in, hey, let's not grow weary, and yes, it should be grow and not fro. Sorry. But oftentimes we go, oh yeah, I got to keep doing the things of church. Well, we we got to keep doing Awana. We got to keep doing Cruise Night. We got to keep doing Meadows Tots. We got to keep doing Kids Hope. We got to keep doing, doing, doing these good works. Except that's not really what this text is talking about because it has to be kept in the context. He said, "Let's let's keep doing these good things." the The words there really speak of making things beautiful. Let's not grow weary of making things beautiful. Let's not grow weary of actually building into each other's lives so that there's the beauty of Christ that's blooming in us. Let's not grow weary of doing these things. Well, what things? Of restoring one another and bearing one another's burdens and participating, sharing with one another in all these things. Here's one of my deepest hopes as we emerge from a pandemic that we will not just jump back into doing stuff, 
that we will not just jump back into activity, but we will allow activity to overflow from what God is doing in us. And I, I think that's what Paul's talking about. Let's, let's be about making things beautiful in our lives, in our hearts, so that then whatever God calls us to do, it's out of the overflow and not out of lack. It's out of willingness and not out of obligation. It's out of a fresh move of the Spirit and not just out of tradition or history. So let's not grow weary of doing the good work of building into each other. That can be wearisome because we're human. But he finishes this way. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have opportunities right now to press into each other's lives. We have opportunities to gather in person again and to see each other's faces afresh and to go, wow, I've missed you. And that might take some grace because we might feel like, oh, I thought you just forgot about me. So coming back together, we're going to have to just make this fresh commitment to, hey, we're on the journey together with others. We We want to restore each other. We want to bear each other's burdens. We want to share in this beautiful work that God's called us to. We want to be about making it beautiful. That can be wearisome. We have opportunities as we get together in smaller groups. I just encourage you, if you're not ready to come in person on Sunday morning, come to a a small group. Find a group of people that you can connect with. Maybe it's an old group that you've had. Maybe it's a new group that's forming. Maybe you've been invited to a different group. Would you just go, okay, I'll, I'll connect there. And in those groups, can we really be about making things beautiful in our lives? Restoring one another. Bearing one another's burdens. Sharing in this task. This mission of Christ. We have opportunities. Walking with others provides generous and patient partnership all along the way. We have a new beginning in Christ by the Spirit and with each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for the work by the Spirit. Thank you for the new beginning that we have in Christ. And Father, I pray that we would just grow in response to your word in these three things, that we would be more and more equipped to restore one another with gentleness. That we would be better equipped to bear one another's burdens. And Father, I pray that we would be motivated to share together, to partake in together, to partner together in this glorious task of expanding your kingdom here on earth. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.